Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode six of Brighton Rock. Brighton of Albion podcast. It's me, Russell Guyver, with Peter Marsh as usual. Hello, Hello. Peter. And Raymond Wright, who we met a couple of episodes ago at the Seagulls Over London event meeting, is with us again, also known as the Gent, or the Brighton Gent, or the Ditchling Gent. Hello, Raymond. Uh, good evening, Russell. Nice How? to be with you again and, and, and with Peter. Excellent. How are you doing? Uh, bit of a cold, but otherwise fine. Oh dear, oh dear. That time of year, right? Anyway, what we're going to talk about on tonight's show is, uh, well, the transfer ver- window verdict, uh, the wet sham results, uh, plenty of discussion on that one, and a couple of bits of, well, news that have come up. One good, one bad. Glenn Murray, new contract, we'll be going into detail on that, and also talking about a tough personal week for Graham Potter. Starting off though, the Wet Sham review, yes I am pronouncing that as I want to, <laughs> um, what do you think about the game guys? Uh, Peter, you were there, Raymond, you've just seen highlights of it. And, and followed the, the thread. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, Peter, first of all, what's your take on the game? You were there, weren't you? I'm, I'm going to sound very clichéd here, Russ, but it was a game of two halves. Oh. <laughs> Magnificent. It, it's impossible to avoid that as analysis, really. I mean, I thought first half, barring the first maybe five minutes when we were in the game and should have scored through Moy, we were absolutely dreadful. And West Ham dominated, generally, without really looking great in the process. I didn't think they were brilliant in the first half. Hmm. It's just we were really terrible. Whatever happened at half-time, whatever changed... The goal obviously kind of gave us the momentum, but then we had to come back from a one, an absolute freak of a goal again from Pop from Snodgrass. So many two like massive deflections in one game is kind of like quite lucky. Yeah, say. it's almost it's almost a little bit disingenuous for him to have actually been given the goal. So yeah. I'm not sure he scored at all. Really, yeah. that <laughs> I'm sure he, I'm sure he would you'd have claimed him if you'd done it. <laughs> but then, um, but the way we fought back the last few minutes, and I think it probably was partly down to their play Liverpool midweek and having quite a tough tough game there. They tired and I, one of the big things, A, I thought March and Schlosser did really well when coming on, but B, I thought Antonio going off was a big difference. He was, or for all that Snodgrass seemed to be given man the match all over the place, I thought Antonio was the difference between the teams in the first half. He, he attacked, he was like, he had pace, we couldn't deal with him 
and he was a permanent outlet for them on the break when we were, if we were pushing forward and they didn't have that anymore and actually in the end part of me was a little bit disappointed that we didn't win because we were a better team by far in the last 15-20 yeah. minutes once we got level after we got level, and also before that as well I thought so as well yeah I mean, on we the other hand I was also worried that we were going to see the last minute winner and in the 96th <laughs> minute and, and ruin all the good work we've done in the second half so, Classic Albion yeah, yeah. so I, I part, I, I'm pretty happy with the draw yeah. I think uh, Raymond, what about you? What, what's well, your I mean, following us, uh, obviously it was the first half hour uh, and plus was, was nil all. But it's interesting, looking at the stats, um, the Albion actually had 57% possession in the first half. Hmm. And it really implies that West Ham used the ball more effectively. Um, I think there were, it's a, the impression I've got is that there were uh, an all sort of careless mistakes in defence. Um, there's a hint of the argument actually referring to the fact that Webster was pushed for their first goal in such a way that Diop was onside rather than being offside and that goal being discounted. Fortunately for Webster he then deflects the next ball in so any chance of Ryan saving it had gone and it was 2 0 down at half time from two moments of uh, you know, unfortunate happening, so it, it's difficult to do it. The fact that in the second half we came back with over 71% possession shows that we really do must have dominated that in spite of their getting the third goal. Um, and yet another deflection, so as Peter was saying, it's a bit unlucky. Um, I mean, if we could just tighten up on the back, which we the impression one gets that we did do in the second half. Um, and we could play like that the whole way through and not concede the silly goals, then we, we have the power to do it. And what was interesting, that the only goal we scored from a set-piece uh, of the three was the first one, and the only goal from, from Gross's corner. The other two were open play. I thought, it was, I thought it was a good team goal by West Ham, personally. Yeah. It's some good combination play. It sounds ridiculous <laughs> to say, but it was a nil-nil draw just over the three-all draw. Yeah. Neither team looked that great going forward, generally, I thought. We both were quite wasteful, but somehow managed between terrible defending, massive deflections, and and uh, what I thought was a pretty lucky free kick for the first one. I thought Montoya clearly got the ball to an when he was and tackled Antonio. I, I genuinely thought Michael Oliver had a dreadful game, especially the first half. He was. Uh, he basically gave them every decision that was possibly going. Mario would get clattered from behind. He give nothing, and then Antonio was helped, would throw himself to the floor for no cause and get a free kick. And that was one of the ones where I thought Montoya poked the ball to us when he got when he got out of the way. But then again, they've been talking about. Bit, we had a slight bit of fortune with Murray possibly being uh, having a bit of tussling with Fabianski for the set for there for our first goal. So it balances out. Yeah. I think also it's, it's been quite downbeat recently with the way results have gone. Um, so I think. Given the transfer window, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, that was Nick's views on that one. But I think it ultimately disappointing for the fact we didn't get the striker. We'll get into that in a moment. But but um, off the back of that and the way the results have been going, I think it was a really big positive that the the three one to three all worked the way around that it did. Absolutely, yeah. It's given us a huge boost. It's it showed that we've got the mentality. Yeah. It's given us a confidence boost. And um, and for the and weekend, hopefully, it turns around the other way that Watford. Having led two 0 and then played yeah. the last twenty minutes against ten men of Everton with two all, managed to lose that game as well. Hopefully, that the, the opposite applies to them. Mm. 
and, and also, uh, the, the other thing is, of course, West Ham. That would have been a big blow for them. So hopefully, and with a terrible pick, run of fixtures to come. Yeah, I mean they've got. I think um, well they've got uh, five of the big six in the next seven yeah. games, doesn't they? We've got Man City away, Liverpool away. I yeah. think that they're then at home to Southampton, which at the moment is a pretty game, good. I think that's not going to be easy. Yeah. At the moment, they're looking a pretty good. I mean they they yeah. were on top at Anfield in the first half. Southampton yeah. four yeah. 0 was very mm. very harsh score on them. And I mean yes, West Ham have got an easier run in, or at least April is is a lot more favourable to them. But if they've done enough damage by yeah. then, they could be psychologically in the mind. Yeah. Um, not that we want to worry about it other teams It puts too a much. lot of pressure on them if they, exactly. if they struggle, in, as expected in those seven games. Yeah. But I think the other seventh game, they've got five of the big six. So that's like Wolves, which is another one that's not e- in any way easy. So. Mm, that's it. Well, and they're playing Arsenal, I think, in that one. But it's, they uh, are, yeah. But I, think the, I, think it, I think Potter will be encouraged from the statistics, because not only are the stats I've already quoted, but we, we actually made 584 passes. Normally, we're around the 490, 500 mark. Our passing success was back up to where it was in the first part of the season, yeah. uh, to 83.9%, which implies that actually there was a lot of things going right. I have to say that having been there, a lot of that was passing it round the back, not really knowing what to do with it at times, especially but, in the first half. There was a lot of, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Ralph, having been there, but I think there was a lot of kind of passing it round, going backwards, and so maybe we'd have it more into their area, have a chance to cross, and then we'd end up back in our own half. Yes. And well, pottering around with it and trying oh. the expression. Uh, <laughs> Unintended uh, pun there, very sorry. Not, yes, indeed. Uh, very, very nice, very nice. But yeah, I would agree with that. I think it uh, was the case. And it really was, as you said, earlier on, a game of two halves. Um, I think the game started with us having a couple of chances, obviously, yeah. more, and then Trossard from that delicious outside of the boot ball yeah. forward from, um, uh, from Popper. Which, yeah, on another day, we might have gone two goals up yeah. out of the blue before. Well, Moyes, especially, was an absolute yeah, sister, really. That, and Murray was waiting if he'd left it as yeah. well. But, but then I think West Ham had the chances from there. They had the yeah. goal, they had another chance. Antonio had a shot. We directly in line with where we were yeah. behind the goal. You could see that was, that was going in. So it's a good block. And then, but of course, had, they did get the second goal. We had a couple other chances later on. Obviously, the, the, the free kick from March, which was tipped over by Fabianski. Yeah. Uh, good save. Shot. And March is low one, but he first came on as well at 3 1, which Fabianski tipped away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there was also, obviously, the, the, the header from Trossard's cross, mm. which March put over. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And the absolutely glorious one that Trossard had late on, which is a lovely move, and with Trossard's dummy and then pushed through to him, he has to hit the target there. He did, he did cause him some problems, though. I mean, he won yeah. that free kick that March nearly scored from as well. So. I mean, it's not great, but he should have hit. He and Moy, he and that shot from Moy at the end, in the beginning, should have really scored, yeah. or at least hit the target. So there we go. Um, we mentioned at the top of the show that uh, it was a tough week for Potter. Um, I, I remember seeing the interview on Deadline Day, I think it was on Deadline Day, with, with Potter, who was uh, clearly looking, well, he looked flustered and irritated, and we thought that was to do with the transfer window um, and things not going as well as they could do. Perhaps partly it was, but. We've since discovered, obviously, there was something far sort of deeper-rooted problem. More that. important, yeah. More important, certainly, in every way, which is that, unfortunately, his father passed away. And so, first of all, hats off to him to, to, to have a full day's work. Apparently, he was training in the morning, doing the press in the afternoon. His press conference was at about half past one, I think. And then um, having to, I think, then speak to McAllister's agent in the evening. So he had a full-on day, which much as you want to immerse yourself in things maybe to forget your troubles, I think that was a bit too 
maybe not, maybe not the pressure of the, yeah. a, a massive relegation battle coming up yeah. and uh, the transfer window closing. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, obviously our uh, condolences and sympathy to yeah. Graham and his family. Yeah, and obviously our thoughts and prayers are with them at um, a difficult time. Indeed, and Raymond, as you're a member of uh, Seagulls Over London, same as we are. Sponsored by Seagulls Over London, we'll give them a quick mention at this moment. Um, you've suggested to Roger, our chairman, to uh, put in a collective word to Graham um, to which pass on our condolences, which he's done. So, which I thought was a good idea, and um, yeah. I, I think that hopefully would be appreciated. Yeah. But, uh, you know, say all our thoughts are with him. Yeah. Kind of, uh, so I'm always glad to get a point from three one down, but I'm particularly glad for Graham that you know he was able to get something for the game because that really would. Have driven in a miserable week with it all together but uh, fair play to him on that just a quick quote as well from Graham in the post-match interview this is just quoting his quote from the Argus he said I think the supporters who were there will go home quite happy and proud of the team and rightly so I think they enjoyed how we tried to play and we tried to do uh, and what we tried to do and the character we showed again we weren't perfect but I thought over the course of the game we were the better team uh, he then goes on to say, I'm happy with the players we've got, I'm happy with the fact that we can improve, and I think we saw that on Saturday. You can see that there, uh, there's enough in the group, there's enough in the team that can get points and get us on the table. We have also added some exciting players to the group. Obviously it's a thank you to Guyton and Leon Balligan who have left us, but they were in situations where in fairness to them and what they have done for the club, they needed to uh, they needed to play, you understand that, and we wish them well. So, I mean, firstly, on that last point, yeah, uh, shame to see Guyton Bongo from the historical point of view, the stuff he's done for the club. It hasn't been the greatest of time for him in the last, certainly in the last 18 months or so, maybe maybe longer. But uh, fair play to him from his early days. Absolutely, free transfer he was from Wigan, wasn't he? And he well, both, both he and, and Balogun were free transfer. Yeah, yeah. Although, so. to be fair, Bong obviously did a lot more for the. Balogun obviously will always remember for that Palace goal, but I'm not sure he really overall did much else. He didn't really play that much, and he. But he was only brought in to be reserved, so you can't really complain that's, about that. That's true. I, I was, on the other hand, quite surprised we let him go, given we had two pits and a half for the weekend. Yes, yeah, so and this is a contentious point, obviously, that comes into play. But I mean, unfortunately, I also remember him for the West Brom Cup goal. That was yeah. <laughs> that was that was, that was dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, he played his part for a little yeah. bit, and certainly he's got his little piece of history with the Palace. And goal. in terms of Guyton Bong, absolutely, he came in on a free transfer. What, four and a half years ago, played a big part in our promotion, a big part in survival first season. He even played a reasonable part last season, I thought, actually, although Bernardo was clearly a better option. I think it's only really been this season where when he's come in, he's been shocking. And I'm, and, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, and it's, I think the abuse he got actually for into the game, that sort of thing was dreadful, and I don't, I would not, it was ridiculous. And people, I think it's a sign a lot of the time in the cup games like that, people come along, we don't go to games properly regularly, and you get like that sort of ridiculous abuse of players. and you know, it's embarrassing, really, from a Brighton point of view. Anyone who, who who cheered when he came off in that sense should be ashamed of themselves. But he probably has time at the club to come to an end. Doesn't hide the fact that we're pretty short a left back once if Bernardo got another injury, which is slightly concerning. That's right. Yeah. Well, we 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 actually we burn out injured. It, it's interesting that we've uh, um, now only got the one specialist left back as such. And I don't know whether young Coffrin is is in their thoughts left back who. who I've seen him a couple of times, and it's quite impressive. Uh, the first time uh, we saw him was up at the Emirates for the under-23 uh, sort of Premier 2 game. That's right, yeah. And the, for the first quarter of 20 minutes, he, he was under 
under pressure, if, if you recall, but he came onto the game and improved, and that was about his first or second game uh, at that level. And he has moved on to, it may well be that he has considered cover there. Otherwise, Montoya can play on the left. Um, yes, he did at Millwall in the cup last year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think initially he started there. I mean, so the, the only worry is stretching the as well. If you, if you say, for example, say we're short in centre backs, we could put someone like Bonanno there, but then given that yeah. we just said about left back resources, then. Yeah, who would you play? Well, Daddy and, and you think Byrne would be the backup left back, yeah. but then he, when he comes back, he'll be a quite crucial backup centre back as well. Yeah. So we've left ourselves, I, I wouldn't have loaned them both out. Yeah. I can understand why they might loan one out but or it's, let one go, it's clearly, but um, two of them is quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly something that hopefully will resolve itself in a month or two as people are coming back into fitness, yeah. assuming there's no further major dramas with injuries. But at well, the moment, it's 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 but you're relying on, yeah, not yeah. much. But it's not just injuries, it's, it's suspensions as well. Yeah, Lewis dumps on yeah. something like eight. eight, 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 eight yeah. Yeah. It suggests to me that Potter didn't rate either of them and was not really happy with the idea of maybe we'd rather try a youngster like Cochran in the team or even the young tender half, um, Robert. Hayden, Hayden yeah. Roberts. Yeah. Hayden Hayden Roberts rather, than, rather than playing either of those two yeah. if it came to it. I, I think look, Roberts, I, I think, picked up an injury in September really? and has only come back relatively recently. Mm. Uh, to the under-23s, uh, who incidentally playing tonight uh, uh, and will be starting at... Uh, it's Tottenham. Until shortly, yes. Ooh, maybe uh, we'll get an update on that live on here. So uh, but it's, uh, um, I mean, we do seem to be shipping people out on loan this out and the other without actually thinking of what happens if. Yeah. Um, which, not sure how... Sorry, guys. That's how So, um, you know, from that viewpoint, it's, it's difficult. I think for the rest of the window, Obviously, it's very disappointing we didn't get the strike on what we needed. Um, and again, it's down to injuries and, and possible uh, possible suspensions. Um, you know, we only need an injury, uh, and we have a problem. On the other hand, the, the one sort of silver lining in the cloud that Murray has not played very much so far this season is fresh as a daisy. And I think you know, we've got part of the benefit of that uh, against West Ham. And it's, uh, uh, I don't know to what extent listeners might have watched Match of the Day, but Ian Wright gave a very good analysis of, of the contribution uh, that he's making at the ripe old age of 36. Hmm. And he, it was impressive. And it, it's not just scoring the goal, <coughs> his hold up play, link play, was excellent. Yeah, I mean, the, the narrative moves on, doesn't it? We've, Murray started the game, I think a few people were surprised about that. Uh, pre-match for West Ham he's gone on to have a, maybe not a good start but a good game overall and the fact he's got a goal he needed to become part of the narrative for the rest of the season hopefully he now will and obviously what's now manifested itself is, is a new contract for yeah. uh, now extension for a year without, so without jumping ahead too far into mm. the uh, transfer window and that sort of thing yeah. we're going to come to I think once we've not signed the striker mm. Murray had to be a regular part He's the player, I would say, of all of those strikers, all the three of them, and uh, other players as well, who's the most clinical, the one who you would want the chance to fall to eight yards out or six yards out, like it did Saturday, to take it. And he is the, the one who can probably get the goals more than anyone else to keep us up. Yeah. I think if you're looking for goals... I think if you're looking for goals around the six-yard box... What, what, what worries me is we don't seem to be wanting to mix 
and match more. At the moment, it seems to be either Murray or Gross, and, uh, and you get like no real pace. You've got strength and height, but no real pace. Or you play Malpe and Connolly and Trossard, and you've got no presence up front, but you've got... Why not play Murray and Malpe together? Why not give them a go? We've not, they've not started together, as far as I can remember. No, if they have, it's not since it September. Be game, but it's not, yeah, it's not Murray hadn't started since September, so... And apparently they hit it off behind the scenes, yeah. they get on well with training. Really. I mean, and I just don't... Just give them a couple of games together. Malpe's got the, the pace and the, and, and the annoy, annoying factor of the trouble players. Murray can take the pressure off him by being the, the hold-up man, and he can play off him. And I thought he, the two of them, I would start with the two of them and March in the front three on Saturday. Mm. So I thought March did enough to stay up to stay in the, to get in the team as well. In those Grand Potter quotes from just a moment ago, um, he mentions new signings and saying that there's some bright prospects and some good signings coming through. Obviously one of those, uh, I'll give you the highest profile, is Alexis McAllister, who we already had as a signing, but he, he's been on loan with Bocco, we've pulled him out of the loan deal. So after some twists and turns and whether he was coming or not, it turns out he was willing to come, he wanted to come, and he has done. He's, a, he's going to be over here at least. Um, but at the moment, he's still in, embroiled in the Olympics qualifications event, which is under 23s in South America. Um, when he comes in, I mean, maybe do you think you could, could you see him linking up in the number 10 role, which he favours and is best in? Could you see him linking up with Murray? Could Murray get time with a player like that? I mean, it's very difficult. I haven't seen him play. Mm. I've seen odd bits, you know, highlights and things, but well, that actually simply doesn't know. Um, so it's difficult to judge. He, he should be back after the winter break, and which would be extremely nice if, you know, if I could um, digress for a second. If we could move the winter break to January, which we tend to have a bad month in, so if we could get rid of <laughs> get rid of the bad month. That might be helpful. Have a whole um, January break, like Alvin yeah, do anyway. Something like that. <laughs> Great shout. Um, or, or does that make it more of a psychological thing? If we don't play January games and finally break the hoodoo, it carries on for longer. More yeah, we don't play ever in January. We don't play in January. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It becomes a moot point, doesn't it? But yeah. it's, um, I, I think it's difficult to judge somebody who's going to be uh, with us for games I think even uh, if you're an, an aficionado of the Argentinian game and you've watched McAllister every game for the last five years it's almost impossible still to predict how he'll do in a Premier League when he's transferred in February I mean it's like effectively it's, you know, it's a very it's one thing to say I've seen him play he can do really well it's another thing to actually how players do you know you've seen we've seen lots of players come to South America and either struggle initially or struggle full stop and never quite make it you know, even if they've been to other European countries, an example, you know, who obviously is far more high profile, but a similar sort of role to McAllister is, is um, Baron, who was brilliant in Italy, brilliant in obviously in Argentina, did nothing at really, I mean, not nothing, but didn't ever hit his heights at United or Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's a lot better known, a lot bigger profile than than, than uh, McAllister, but it's like, you know, players from South America often don't do that well. Yeah, I noticed incidentally that it's referred to. Um, McAllister as Alistair. Because mm. there's separation of the Mac and the Alistair in the yeah. in the yeah. in the 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 in the
coming on for the last 15-20 minutes to play that number 10 role when a bit more space the other side of the game is retired and he'll be fresh and if we were using Trossard earlier he could come on uh, perhaps in place of Trossard I mean that could be probably Trossard's better on the bench I think personally yeah. But I do think, I mean, certainly I think he strengthens us. Hopefully the young man from Chelsea, who we've also signed this window, which is Tariq Lamptey. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, again, another one I'm not convinced might will do a lot this win, you know, in the next 12 games, yeah. but I think longer term, it sounds a very exciting sign, and Chelsea clearly wants to keep him. Yeah. And he's only been kept for left because they had Aspie de Quetta, who obviously is a pretty brilliant Premier League player, and Rhys James, who has come on the scene, and yeah. is a pretty, it's, it's probably slightly more physical, as Dan Burn will attest to. And... Uh, Obviously, it's had a really, really good um, you know, spell this season. But Lamptey, they wanted to keep still, even though they had two other right-backs, including one young one. And we've managed to, to nick him from them. And that while I'm still not totally convinced that Dan Ashworth has done a, helped us a lot, because I mean, our, our spell since he's been there has been pretty dreadful, you could argue that players like Lamptey are the reason he was brought in to, do, you know, to bring players. And also the reason that Potter was brought in to develop players like that. Yeah, it might take a while for him to get into his stride, but it's just... It's good to good to see we've got somebody in who sounds an exciting prospect yeah. and was very willing to come rather than sign a new deal with Chelsea. I think it's, in, it's, it's interesting with Lampertick because he has the reputation of being quick and having having quick feet. And he, if uh, we have a, a situation like Antonio that you're referring to, somebody who's pace, and Torori who was causing problems when Wolves came down, just his sheer pace, the ability to put onto and pull back somebody who can match or, or nearly match the pace of somebody who's exceptionally quick means that we can nullify their effectiveness the issue more is easily both of, than we have with the players. The issue with both of those players you mentioned, though, is they're both pretty strong as well. And the, what I've heard is five foot four, Lamptey, as well. So both Antonio and Traore are not just quick, they're physical. big, very physical players. And the issue is probably, which is possibly why Reese James has got ahead of him, because whether he can handle the five foot four, whereas Rhys James is five foot ten, probably or something like that from memory, or something. Yeah. He's bigger he's and bigger. stronger, and I, I, yeah. no, I don't think Lampy would have ended up with Dan Byrne getting no. a no. with a getting um, a broken collarbone. Thing, speaking of McAllister, Alistair, if we want to call him that. Al, uh, Al, yeah. His um his his other thing with Tim Vickery, prominent um, South American based uh, journalist, South American expert on football, uh, has said that he is a fantastic player. He's a great talent. He's got a lot. A lot of growing and improvement to make, but he is quite a slight frame by, should we say, Premier League standards. And his question mark is about whether he can do it. He's, he's expressed doubt about players like Coutinho in the past when he's moved over to England, and obviously that he flourished and did well at Liverpool, ended up getting the deal at Barcelona. But you know, until, until it's proven, it's a possibility mm. of, of an issue. Hopefully, he can hit the ground running, or at the very least, we can survive and he can flourish next season. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you know, someone like Zola wasn't big and not that physical, but a you know, great player. Um, so it, it, it's always you know, difficult to know. Um, but we do seem to have quite a, I think a good point, Peter, a, a lightweight squad. I mean, Trossard's lightweight, Marks is lightweight, and so on. And this is the point that you made about Murray and, and having his physical presence up front is very important. Um, and I think we haven't got enough people who have that physical presence to just cause the opposition centre-half, centre-backs and defenders to make errors because of the physical presence. And as you say, that's what's so important about Murray because 
he, he, we all know he's slow. We all know he gets offside, and we all know he's he's not going to outpace any defender ever in the history of football. But he defenders can't have a moment's rest with him. He he puts himself about. He's strong. He wins free kicks. He, he's like physical, and if you give him a chance in the area, he will probably more often than not take it. And that's I think what we've been lacking this season. I think he just suited this team really well. It's frustrating because. We've had so many games where you look back on it and we haven't quite taken our chances or whatever. And Murray is very good at taking even the smallest chance, like that Man U home goal last year, yeah. when he basically flicks, flicks it. Yeah, he, he's a lot more subtle in that way than people give him credit for. Absolutely. You know that sort of finish and his, you know, he yes, he'll score off his knee or his or his or his, uh, you know, or his, you know, backside, chest yeah. or his backside. Yeah, yeah. but he'll also do things like that where you don't think he's going to score, and he does, and he's. We've missed him a lot this season, I think, and I've, I've been, in a lot of ways, I think we've been higher up the league if Potter had, Potter had started him more often, actually. Well, yeah. well we, we've dropped at least 10 points that we shouldn't have done. Yeah. And uh, those 10 points would be something like fifth or sixth, and it, it, which makes a, a huge difference. And we, we, we'd be ahead of Sheffield United, and we'd be up there with Tottenham. Um, and I think it, it does make a difference, but Potter hasn't. If I have one criticism of Potter, is he hasn't allowed the partnerships to flourish. I mentioned it the last time I was on a couple of episodes ago, uh, the, the wide crossover thing. But we could be the gross Murray partnership. And if Murray is going to play, you, you know, I think one needs gross in there because of the understanding that they have. And Murray is going to need the service. So he needs people who can cross the ball, as well as thread it plays through. Uh, the lines. Yeah, he's always said he wants good, good service from the, from the, the lines. Way. And, and that's what well proper well gave him at the weekend. As well as playing through the lines. And, and um, I think it's not entirely coincidence, from what I can gather, is that Trossard was quite lively and quite elusive um, and creative. He might not have taken a couple of chances, but his contribution, he was in the game a lot more, mm. a lot longer. And I think that had quite a lot to do, I suspect, with Murray being there having that type of striker rather than a, a more fluid striker. I think some of the, I mean, Trossard flourished with, uh, with Savata and Genk, and Genk is a physical number nine, very much a number nine. And, and Morpé is, is very much a different type of player. And I don't think that Potter's allowed those sort of partnerships. I see your point about Gross. I, my worry about Murray and Gross is it always has been there if they're not quick enough together. But as long as you, if you have the, the, the Morpés, as you mentioned, and I think you have the crossovers, and you have, say, McAllister if he comes in, and you have Alzate, and Proper and things, you've got a bit more pace round them. But we didn't read on Saturday, we had Moy, we had Grosh, we had Murray, and it was like, and Moy I really like, but he's not that quick either. And it was only really Trossard, who's not like lightning quick, he's, he's quicker than, he's definitely quicker than I am, but he's, <laughs> and, he's, and, he's, and he's not slow, but he's not like, Lightning pace, he's not as quick as Malpe, I'd say, yeah, definitely not as quick as Connolly. But, a, but uh, Alzate would help there. Uh, I mean, proper certainly quicker than Stevens, and, you know, from that viewpoint. So it's, yeah. I think it's a question of addressing the pace. Bernardo brings, brings more pace does, down, yeah. down the left flank. And he's also actually quite strong as well, which is a good, you know, he's a good combination. Yeah. Of, I mean, deceptively strong, yeah. Bernardo. Yeah, and general energy. I really like Bernardo, it's been a real shame that he's been out injured quite a lot of the time both last season and this season he's missed quite a lot of games but I really really like Bernardo yeah. he's, uh, just, just a few him being back is a huge thing for us a few quick points on that I think um, one thing in the first season under Hughton was that 
we were lucky with injuries. We didn't get many. Second season, he was unlucky with injuries, and that certainly was a contributory factor, which I think has been understated, shall we say. And we've not been too lucky with injuries this season either. So I think that's that's one thing. Um, I think one of the other points you've you mentioned, Raymond, about partnerships. Um, I happened to go to the Aberdeen friendly at the beginning of our uh, tender in the Premier League. Uh, no, I think it was the promotion season actually. Um, in fact, no, going back further, it was, it was the first season of the Houston. First, full, first season, full season. Full season, yeah. yeah. And there was a friendly at Aberdeen, and we flew in and out. And, um, and on that, um, Houston, I had a conversation with him. We were all hanging around at the airport, so I was able to have about a 20, 25-minute conversation with him. And a lot of it was all about the partnerships. That was the first thing he was keen to mention, was the partnerships. Duffy and Dunk, the midfielders, the strikers. Steve Stevens and KL. And Kyle at the time, yeah. And yeah, that, that is a key issue. I think you do have to have partnerships and general synergy in the team. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. Um, on the subject of Glenn, uh, do you feel it's a little bit like getting back with an old girlfriend almost? <laughs> you sort of split up and then you've come back together. I See, never got back with an old girlfriend. <laughs> so I wouldn't like to comment on that. We should explain that Raymond's wife is sitting in on this as well. So he has to say that, Raymond, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we, 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 we were a continuous event. So. Oh, I see, I see. Covering for yourself, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but, um, but no, I mean, it does feel as if, as if he's been I mean, a bit of strange. About, about the team on the right back at Solario and everything else. I mean, when Byrne comes back, which is presumably in five or six weeks' time, so sometime in, in, in March, I guess, um, that would be, if we've got Byrne playing central defence with Dunn, then Bookster has got pace. And one of the things we haven't seen so much of, which we saw early season, was him making surging runs forward with the ball. And I don't know why he's not making those forward. He did one on Saturday, but then lost the ball pretty quick when he tried to pass it and ended up in a leg it back. Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, well, if he uses the ball, I mean, would he be less Would it be less expensive if he loses it going down the right? And then to have Webster at right back using his pace and, and physicality. Um, mm. and it's an with yeah. Bernardo on the left, so we've got. Mm. And, then you have say Mario on one pay and you've got Grossum on either March or or, or, or say March and, and, and Trossard on the wings with, with Proper and yeah, uh, McAllister or or, or or Alzate Moy or Moy. I mean, it sounds as if what you're saying is we've got options now, and I think that's the way it does look. I think we've always had options in certain positions this season. My, my turnaround from the partnerships thing is that I think Hewton relied too much on a small number of players and yeah. didn't change them. I think Potter's probably come in, seen that this happened, and gone too far the other way. Mm-hmm. And there's a middle ground between not really changing anything, whatever happens, you're going to stick with this, or then you move to 4-3-3 three, three, and then you stick with that for far too long, and then... And then, alternatively, on the other side, doing what does is like tweak it every week almost, and that you don't get any sort of continuity there. Yeah, and I think, I think it's about a middle ground somewhere between those two. Yeah, I think that's a very good I point. Mean, I mean, I didn't mention Duffy there because uh, I know, and I was talking about Byrne with, with Dunk, but actually, I'm a sort of advocate of restoring the, the Duffy Dunk partnership. Mm. Well, Which then actually begs the question of who plays left back. And, and, and do go to and Duffy does not shoot playing on the right side on the back three. He's fine in the centre of the back three. Um, but I do, you know, the, the number of times that we made blocks 
We're not breaking as many blocks as the women do as often as effective. Witness the two end goals um, against West Ham. So we're not closing down people in the same way that we used to uh, on the edge of the defence. And I think Duffy and Dunk were both very good at that. And last season, uh, Duffy was, had something like 40 headed clearances more than anybody else in the Premier League. I mean, he was so far ahead of anybody else. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, he was over on like 240, and next person was something like Duncan, about 190. Um, he's more clearances than anybody else. And, you know, he captains his country. Um, you know, he puts his body in the line. Not the most skillful footballer um, in terms of... Well, we have definitely changed our style since then. I mean, that, that was, like, based on Hewton's quite defensive style. Possa wants to dominate the ball to be on top of all. Even against bigger teams, we've had like, kind of the top six teams, we've had more ball possession with them. Yeah, we almost, and, almost yeah, did and the match, City, And Match City. And ma- yeah. yeah, and even Liverpool, we were quite yeah. close, I think. I mean, you do, it is a breakup of partnerships and certain synergies that we had versus trying something new and dynamic yeah. that might actually. And I think we've not quite hit the middle ground yet. I yeah. think we still tr- we changed yeah. too much. Which is why I think it's crucial, and I've, hopefully we will survive. Um, I think it's crucial to our project. That we do manage to yeah, do so, I we agree. can build on that. But the only other point we're not far off being quite a decent mid-table team, yeah, yeah, but exactly. Potter needs to learn yeah. certain things as you would do, expect to do it as yeah. a manager. I mean, you talk about Championship players coming in and not necessarily being, you know, having a season to get, to, you know, maybe to grips with it. Same applies to him. You know, it's it's a new it's a new league not for absolutely. him. It's a big new big jump up. You have to cut in some slack. Yeah, um, one year in a Championship as well, so it's only like one year there. One one, one final thing on on Murray, which I was going to angle towards just now, was. About this sort of it seemed like the ex-girlfriend coming back is almost like that. But but basically he's he's gone out the folds. Not I don't think in terms of attitude or anything. I'm sure he's been very professional, and I'm sure Poss has appreciated that professionalism. But well, he's Poss been put it on record, anyway. yeah, and he's he's clearly just been still uh, doing his job well, training and waiting for an opportunity. Potts has been looking at other options, and he's clearly had a completely different mindset. Do you think? Um, well, firstly, do you think that the West Ham performance may have prompted some change? And do you think there's a conversation has been had here? Because clearly to sign him for the, for the extra year, he's now with us for 18 months. Uh, has a conversation happened between Potter and Murray there, do you think? I, 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 I'm not sure. It doesn't go uh, a bit higher than that. I, mean, I think I, Potter did say that Murray made it quite clear that he liked to tell me he wanted to stay. Approaching Potter there. Um, Murray's family are settled down in Brighton. Yeah. Uh, from that viewpoint, they're happy there. So I can't see. He probably realises that next season will be his last at the top level. Yes, he could drop down to uh, you know, League One or League Two, something like Crawley locally, uh, perhaps. But it's the point. I hope that if he stays on for a season, that they will begin to involve him. In passing on his know-how, I'm not sure if I'd call it coaching, to some of the young strikers in the under-23s. Especially, he's already doing that. I think he's been. There's, there's been and, quotes and, from Alfay about how he's helped him and and, and, there's a big, and Connolly. There's a big thrust about that at the Albion, anyway, isn't there? We've yeah. kept people on like Rossini, albeit he's moved on now. Sidwell, Sidwell. same. Uh, Zamora and various other people who've had some sort of role to yeah. play, whether it be coaching or otherwise. Well, Alan Mullery going back. Mullery coming back in, and other people like Andy Rollins, uh, who sort of doing stuff behind the scenes. I think that all builds into a certain psyche yeah. around the club, which I think helps. 
Um, I mean, I don't know what Glenn's later plans are after next year, but I'm pretty pleased that he'll be part of the squad yeah. going forward. I mean, in, in quotes, how much he'll how much he'll realistically play next season if we yeah. do sign the striker that we want and Malpay to eventually head of another season in is debatable. But he he showed on Saturday clearly that they he had a, definitely a role to play. I mean, it, it was a really impressive centre half centre forward it, performance. And I was. I, I think. I mean, also, it's not actually looking around the Premier League. How many Premier League strikers are there? who actually scored 29 goals in the last two seasons, particularly English ones. And Very uh, few. I, I mean, there's Vardy and there's Kane, and that's more or less it. Yeah. And then there's Murray. And uh, you've got him on the books, and you're not playing them. And then you're going after perhaps other options who are unproven in the Premier League. All right, so you don't get your first two or even three choices. You're going down the food chain, as it were, in options. Does it make sense to do so when you've actually got a proven Premier League striker on your books? I appreciate he's not quite as sharp as he was. He's probably lost that extra half yard of pace. I'm not sure he, he has, to be honest. Th three years ago. <laughs> um, I don't think he had it in the first place. <laughs> no, but I think he's, you know, that was he... He was never quick. I remember him running after Fabian Delph at the um, Amex in yeah. uh, 2007 and injuring himself, <laughs> failing, from, failing I'm, to... I'm going to have to quote C6 Steve again here. With that. I, had, I started off with nothing and I've still got most yeah. of it left. Yeah. But I actually think with Murray that his... His mind is still ahead of, he's really to get ahead of where his body is. You know, he's, you know, in other words, as you get older, and I, I say it given the age I am, sort of 70 plus, is that you think you're getting somewhere faster, but you're not. Yeah. And the mind could actually get there, but the body doesn't follow uh, in the same way. And I suspect that you know, he can see where things and can't quite get to it as quickly it's that split second, it's that couple of hundredths of a second slower than he was. And therefore, the odd, when he wasn't playing regularly earlier this season, witness the sort of Everton game, a couple of chances. Had he been playing regularly, he might have put those away, because yeah. he had that sharpness. And he, he could see where he needed to be and got there. Not got there, just to be able to direct the ball that, that little bit better. But nonetheless, he is there, he is proven. And... Yeah, as I say, how many people are who scored? Well, right I, I actually agree with you completely about the kind of like the sign the striker because I think a lot of reading North Stand chat and reading forums and other bits, you think that people have this idea that there's these strikers growing on trees who are like guaranteed twenty goals. And the fact is that yeah, we're in the market where you don't buy guaranteed twenty goal strikers. You say we buy players who might get twenty goals or might get. Ten goals if you're lucky, even given the money yeah. we thought money we paid. Twenty goals is phenomenal. Yeah, maybe ten goals. Though, yeah, you have maybe maybe ten, fifteen goals. Yeah. If you're lucky, you pick yeah. up a a Michu who was like yeah. well, Swansea cost two million pounds, yeah. or a a Vardy who somehow costs like less than one million. It still yeah. took quite a long time to work out. Yeah, well, I'm keen to move the conversation on, but just just very briefly, lastly on on Murray. I mean, he's creeping towards. I think it's Tommy Cook, isn't it, the record goal scorer? I think he's twelve off the record now. That's equaling, I think. Um, so you know, he's he's got off the mark for the season finally. 
maybe if he can eke a little bit together. Well, if, he, if, he, if he can persuade Brighton to keep all the votes for Brighton the last three seasons, yes. <laughs> but it's because I'm not sure he's, he's going to. You know, how many wins well, score this season? You never know. I mean, if we, if we went on another cup run, because I think that was the problem. Our, our FA Cup run, he did quite well in. If we had another cup yeah. run next season, maybe, maybe just maybe he could get it. I, I'm inclined to think he won't quite make the record, but it's good to know he's in there for another season. It's still whatever happens is a phenomenal yeah. effort. And um, I, I, what um, I was sorry. I, 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 just say that I think he's, he's a real plus. He ought to be one of four. That's the problem with yeah. only three. And I think he has a lot to offer, yeah. as Potter says, both on and off the pitch. And I th- the question you asked is, there was a, a, a question, you know, discussion between Murray and Potter. I wonder how much people like Dan Ashworth uh, were able to make comments uh, and, and others about well, hold on, we've got this frozen striker. Um, you know, he he's been exemplary. He's worked hard. He's still winning free kicks. He's still getting in the right positions. Why the hell don't we use him? Because other people were coming in, supposedly the likes of Newcastle and others, Nottingham Forest and the Town and League. I know, but actually. Other PL clubs were interested in getting his services. Yeah. Which well, says something, doesn't it? It does say something, yeah. and they're not idiots. And yeah. therefore, you know, why on earth were we you know, perhaps not using yeah. a resource we had? I still think we should have got an extra striker in. Yeah. But I would not, not have wanted it at the expense of Murray. I think he probably would have been. I think probably if he got another striker in, yeah. it probably would have been at the expense of Murray. Maybe, maybe even if he didn't leave, it would have meant he wouldn't have played. I, I'm not sure. I, I would have. Funny enough, if I had to choose between getting a, a good another wide attacker, like a Boeing, for example, or uh, a Watkins, uh, or getting another central striker, because of this Quedo situation, who I personally doubt we'll see this season, um, and if we do, it will be about the last match, um, then you know, I would have preferred another wide attacker, somebody else with pace, yeah. to be able to come in who could add another goal threat from a different situation. Mm. And I think it's been, a, if I can open up the conversation a bit more, that if we could see more for Johannash, I think that would be good. I mean, he, he had a couple of games where he scored, and good goals, or taken goals. And I think how he is used could could help. I think if he's given a freer role... Yeah, could, could be a bonus. I mean, I'm, I've gone on record a few times saying I'm a big fan of Jared Bowen. I'm not a big fan of his reported wage demands, so I'm quite glad we haven't got him if that's the case. But Jahanbach fits a similar position on the pitch, and yeah, if he could step up, he's had a little flourish. He's disappeared again for a, a little while, but he could. January's Gold of the Month. Yeah, exactly. That's right. He's just been voted January Gold of the Month, an item for the agenda I've forgotten to add to my list. So glad you mentioned that, Peter. Just finally on the Murray subject, um, head coach Graham Potter, in responding to the uh, to the news about the contract signing, said, "I'm delighted Glenn's agreed this new contract, and it's one he deserves. He's got it because of what he can bring to the team and the squad. Everyone knows what Glenn brings to the club, and he's an important member of the squad, both on and off the pitch. And he showed that in abundance on Saturday at West Ham. I've always said he's got a big part to play here." He's happy and settled, he loves this club, and he's been the ultimate professional on and off the pitch. Glenn keeps himself in fantastic shape, and that takes great dedication. And I completely agree with all of that. And I think... Is there anything there any Albion fan would disagree with? Yeah. I mean, the other... And, and it's been prompted with a few of our friends uh, discussing whether he's our greatest player in one sense. We'll maybe get into that as a separate subject another time, but 
he's certainly synonymous with our successes. A sustained period, again, second time round in the top flight. He's had a part to play in that, getting us into it in the first place. And of course, back in time with the League One campaign and so on. Uh, the greatest mistake was not keeping him on, obviously, under four. So well, that's, that's for another day, that discussion. But just moving on to a couple of other points about West Ham before we finish on that subject and wrap up the first part of the programme. Um, we've mentioned the uh, well, the game itself. What we've also done, and by the time you listen to this, hopefully you've already heard it, we did uh, our first, or I did, our first match uh, special, match day special. So I did a little bit of pre, during and post interview stuff. The post bit may have been slightly drunken, uh, but uh, hopefully it was enjoyable in a, in a ramshackle sort of way. Bringing did, the show into disrepute. Exactly. I do have to apologise for a little bit of technical difficulty with some of the sound uh, in the outside areas. Uh, we had a little bit of wind and I didn't have my furry whatever that is that you put on the mics. Uh, but other than that, hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, we'll do that from time to time, not all the time. Um, but hopefully that was enjoyable for listeners. The other thing to mention, a little bit downbeat to finish, but um, a friend of ours uh, was sorted on the way out of the ground. We all stepped out, I won't go into detail because it's an ongoing case, but essentially he was uh, completely unprovoked, wearing no colours, doing nothing untoward, was suddenly uh, rather violently shunted by a guy who knocked him off his feet, uh, he had some concussion, uh, whiplash effects and some bruising to his ribs, so he was uh, pretty roughly treated. Turns out, actually, another friend of ours, uh, her brother, uh, was also affected by this as well. He was also um, hit on the way past by what we assume is a West Ham fan. Uh, we can't say any more than that because it's a, it's a case in, in progress. But it is the incident, I believe, that's being reported in the press. Um, also, on an unsavoury note, two West Ham fans, apparently homophobic abuse at the game, gestures. Uh, I've got to say I'm not a big fan of West Ham fans, that's why I call them White Sham. Um, they've, every time I've come across them, uh, I think without exception, there's been homophobic abuse either I've heard directly or have heard about. Not impressed at all. Uh, this is obviously a wider issue that goes on elsewhere. It's not just us, um, although we have the gay-friendly persona, it's other clubs. Chelsea have the same abuse from West Ham fans as well. Um, Pretty Can I just actually make, make one comment? Yeah. My understanding is that the club, West Ham, hmm. and the uh, whole handling of the situation, the treatment of this uh, Brighton fan friend of ours, yeah. was fantastic, yeah. and they looked after And one, I think, cannot commend their whole attitude uh, well enough, and certainly the police, as I understand it, are investigating the situation and, and taking it further. So I think from the law sort of viewpoint and the club West Ham viewpoint, I think that there is no criticism. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Raymond. I, was, I wasn't witness per first hand to it, but I was on the scene a couple of minutes later, uh, quite surprised to see a friend of mine on the floor lying, lying there. Um, but I can say from first hand experience that the police were excellent, the paramedics were fine, very good. And from what our friend told us afterwards he was actually uh, given a lift all the way back to where he lives in Milton Keynes, well, near to Milton Keynes, um, after the game, directly uh, as arranged by the club. So hats off to them, and also hats off to some West Ham supporting witnesses. They're not all bad, West Ham fans. Um, they reacted very quickly to help this matter come to 
Yeah, so we come to hopefully come to court and we to be dealt with anyway. Yeah, and to be dealt with. Um, so commend commendations to them and as you said to the to the Mets, the paramedics and the clubs. So yeah. On that rather unsavoury note, we'll finish the first half of the podcast now. When we come back, we'll be going through a few of the general talking points from the football world. Maybe talk Part two of Brighton Rock Albion podcast, episode six, a bit more New Orleans. There's a few listeners said they quite enjoyed that, so we thought throw one more little bit in there. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Preservation Hall band, fantastic stuff. Peter, have you ever been to New Orleans? I haven't. No. I, I recommend it. It was absolutely fantastic. Loved every moment of it. Music's great. The food's good. The prices are ridiculous, but there we go. Anyway, welcome back to part two, everybody. Um, in this part, we're just going to run through a few more bits, actually. One more item on the matter of the Albion, uh, in the women's. Uh, we haven't mentioned the women's team at all on this podcast so far. I feel ashamed. And I know one listener in particular, Robin, will be delighted I'm mentioning them because he's a big fan. Hi, Robin. Anyway, um, the women's team. We've, we're up to 12 points in the table now after a 1-0 home win against Everton. A good result, decent result. They're above us in the league. Um, given the number of games left in the season, i.e. not many, and the fact we've got double the total of the two teams... Either side of the relegation divide on six points, Liverpool and Bristol City. Not bad. Looking like they're going to survive again for a second successive season. Good news, eh? Hopefully, yeah. It looks like looking good. Yeah, they made some signings in the summer. Um, Albion striker signings. Uh, they were announced. And, and in January as well, which <laughs> seemed to annoy an awful lot of people online. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a bit of a bugbear, isn't it, for a lot of fans about that. But anyway, it's good to see them doing well. So just thought I'd give them a quick mention. Um, a few other things coming up. We've got the winter break. Winter break is coming, as they might say in Game of Thrones, almost. Um, what's your view on that in terms of the idea of it in general, and the way that it's been done by the Albion, because we uh, by by the, um, the clubs in this country? Because it's staggered, isn't it? The Albion are playing a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks off, and it's it's allowing the football to continue on a scaled down format. What, what do you think about that? Well, it's all done, that's all done to TV, isn't it? They don't want yeah. TV to not have a week without football, basically. Of course <laughs> there's no uh, There's no question about that. Um, I mean, it makes sense in a way. I think I think there's... It's, it's an interesting one that you do it this late, but then on the other hand, of course, February has been quite a bad time for games getting called off. There's been a lot of snow, even up to March quite recently. When we were at Old Trafford in the Cup, I remember there being a massive amount of yeah. snow in the sixth round about well, I think it's two more, years ago. It's more about the just having a break in general yeah. rather than the cold weather itself. But it's, I think it's a, not a bad idea, but I'm not sure how much an extra weekend off in that time is going to do to the teams when you've still got to play 38 games and you've still got to you know, have the Cup games and that sort of thing and you've got the extra potentially midweek game of the FA Cup fifth round. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced it's going to make a huge amount of difference, personally. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Well, it is what it is. It's been a long debate to have something like that for a while, taking the positive yeah. step of trying it. Personally, I'm doing a tour of Fuller's Brewery on the weekend <laughs> off, so I'm pretty much looking forward to it. So Exactly. It's the worst ways to spend a winter break. Exactly, and if you're not doing that, then as Albion fans, as football fans in general, what do we normally do on a winter, winter break like that? What, what, what we, what we do normally in such opportunities 
Well, we'd just go and watch some other football maybe yeah. league games or something I like that. I still <laughs> mean to go to Charlton as well as my local club now. So. Oh, yeah, of course, yes. Peter's recently moved down that way. How many feet? But um, anyway, um, speaking of which, the 92 club, we'll have to talk about that at some point. We're both quite high up on slightly, the list. Slightly unnerving that Barrow was so we were doing so well in the conference. Oh, no, that is a terrible, <laughs> terrible... Everyone in the 92 club who lives down south is, like, <laughs> dreading already, it. Yeah, except for the one snog somewhere who's already... Who lives in Barrow already. <laughs> <laughs> But there we go. So that's the winter break. <clears throat> a few other items that come up in this week in the world of football. Um, Newcastle, possible new owners. Saudi suitors. Um, under a big club. They feel like they belong in the Premier League when all said and done. And they don't so feel like they belong in the Premier League. They feel like they belong in the top two, I think, probably. Yeah, yeah. But I think this, if that should come to fruition and if it should be genuine investors with uh, decent intentions and some decent backing for the club, I think that could, could make them basically do what I think Everton are trying to do as well at the moment which is firm up their future in Everton in case it's building a bigger stadium but uh, they, they've got money behind them this could be a good move for Newcastle's long suffering fans yes, I can't say I've, I've seen that they've got a potential takeover from Saudi Arabia I don't know anything about who the people are or yeah. you know, anything like that but it's uh, yeah obviously yeah, I've got there's um, I mean for all the fuss about Newcastle though they spent what's it Forty million on Joe Linton in the summer, and they were set to break that last week. They had a forty-five million pound offer accepted from midfielder, who then turned them down. Yeah. So I mean, they're hardly uh, you, you compare them, to, and they're presumably paying quite a lot of money to Danny Rose, for example, for his wages. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so have... for all all the fuss of their their fans, they're hardly exactly not paying anything for anyone. Yeah, they are, they have made signings, haven't they? For a full is full. I know that the issue is that actually supposedly bring taking money out of the club, but. When all of a sudden done, he's got them into the Prem a couple of times, yeah. and despite the fact that I thought they looked a poor team and were candidates for relegation, they look fairly comfortable, don't they? Yeah. They're on 30, 31 points. And you, you've got to th- assume that Danny Rose is probably on six figures a week, yeah. and I doubt Tottenham are paying him anything like that, because they probably don't wanna, didn't want to lose him particularly, so yeah. you yeah. imagine that they're paying significant wages to him, for example, and yeah, I... I mean, Newcastle, I think a lot of fans, as I said with Man United and the Glazers, have a very, very interesting idea of what problems are, you know. Charlton, for example, De Chatelet, terrible owner, tried to completely screw the club over, and, mm. and their previous owners who left, they lose the valley, that's bad. Our owners, Archer and Stanley, terrible. Uh, Berry's owners, awful. Bolton's old owners, horrendous. The Glazers taking them to fifth in the league, and... And Newcastle and Ashley taking Newcastle occasionally down to the Champions League and taking them back, back in. They, they, these clubs don't know they were born. No. You know, the fans are completely deluded about how terrible a situation is, hmm. and it's and they just genuinely think they've got a right to win everything or do whatever. Man United fans and what they did to Ed Woodward like apartment last week. Albion fans would never have done that in the days. Yes, there were protests outside Archer's house and that sort of thing, but there were never anything remotely like that in these days. Never, yeah, never throwing. Step too far, yeah. Isn't it? it's, it's, well, it's criminal and it's disgraceful. And yeah, for a, and he isn't even the owner, he's the one who's the chief executive, so he's doing what he's told by the owners. Hmm. And yeah, Man United fans, I think, of all of them are most embarrassing anyway because most of them come from the down south anyway. Most oh. fan, most Manchester fans are City fans anyway. <laughs> I'm loving the rant and the pushing of buttons. If it happens to be anyone Manchester, I doubt it will be. Fans listening, but I'm it's sure embarrassing that they're so angry about this. Is like yeah. you're still like what they were fifth in the league at that point. Now they're like seventh because yeah. they, they drew against Wolves. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, yeah, completely different degrees of hard done by this. 
Yeah. Look down the road at Berry and you'll see hard done by, by your owners. Exactly. Or your owner. Some of whom they, they should probably be supporting rather than that. Yeah, exactly. That area, but there we go. And the rest of them are from Tiverton and bloody like North <laughs> South Wales or something. Or fair, fair enough. Not that I've any Man United thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. And, and in fairness, at least those ones travel, I suppose. Um, I know a load of Man U fans in London. It's, it's all just a bit plastic, really, isn't it? But there we go. Um, anyway, that's one issue that's of interest. Um, speaking of Manchester United, they'll be delighted to see how well Liverpool are doing. Uh, it, it's a title procession now, isn't it? It's almost turning into a, a weekend stroll in the country. Uh, it'll, it'll just be a cigar-consuming sit-by-the-fire by, by mid-March, the way it's going. 22-point gap, which... In well, just going on the first day of February, that's phenomenal, isn't it? It's, it's frankly ridiculous. Incredible. I mean, the interesting question will be, in a way, when Liverpool win the title, what do they do then? Do they, assuming they're still unbeaten, mm. do they play like kind of not reserve teams, but certainly rest players for Champions League, possibly in the FA Cup, in that wanting to do some sort of treble, um, or do they, you know, kind of carry on? And you know, try and get the unbeaten season and do that and beat Arsenal's record. And yeah, I mean, it's the question of replication as well, isn't there? I mean, teams that have dominated in the past, Alex Ferguson's Man United, mm. Liverpool in the previous era, and other clubs besides, um, it's really difficult to to win the second title to retain it. Um, and if you do even manage that, would you be able to keep going year after year after year? That's the one thing we don't yeah. know about Klopp yet. He's certainly looking like he's absolutely destroying the, the division this year. He's, he's going to win that title without any shadow of a doubt. Can he keep replicating it? But you're, and you're already hearing rumours of City as well. There's, mm. I was t- I've read in the, on a, one of the papers said apparently there's about seven players leaving in the summer who've yeah. underachieved and bringing five or six in the summer in. Yeah. And you think, well, you know, they're... They've shown they can compete with 100 points or whatever sort of thing. If they then go and bring players in to do that, then you know there will be a threat again next season. Yeah. Even if Liverpool have a slight... I mean, Liverpool won't ever have a season like this again. There's no way you can regularly or even more than once end up playing for the 25 games and winning 24 of them. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a ludicrous record. record. And they could very, very easily have had a 100% record. They could have an exceptional season and still... Not to be even really close to what they're on now. Yeah. City dropping so. away obviously has been a factor as well, but the fact that if certain results went completely in their favour, they could win it in three games' time yeah. is just preposterous. But there we go. We'll see what happens. Um, I think we know what's going to happen ultimately. Oh, ultimately, yeah. It's just a matter of how many points. It, it would be the biggest collapse ever in the history of anything, <laughs> yeah. any sport or, exactly. any, or even anything else. Yeah, exactly. And um, Raymond, who was with us in the first part, who had to leave for the second part, unfortunately, he made a point on his way out about how that 22-point gap almost equates exactly to the number of points we've got this season altogether. Which is um, crazy. Yeah. Equally crazy is that with 13 games left, Liverpool would have come third or already got third place last season in a bag. Yeah, exactly. They're a point clear of what Chelsea got third place last season <laughs> at the end of the season. And it's and I know there was a big gap to the top two last year, but I mean a hundred points seems the least of their objectives this year. I mean that's like that would be quite a drop off from where they are now, mm. which is I mean a hundred points is ridiculous. So to achieve that probably with something to yeah. spare is I think they could get I think mathematically they can get one hundred and twelve out of the one hundred and fourteen. Yeah. So they'd have to like drop either lose four games or draw. Mm. 
six or some combination, yeah. you you're only up at 100 points. You have to feel there'll be some sort of drop-off somewhere, but uh, you know, it's not going to be much, is it? A lot um, depends on what they, how much they want the FA Cup, maybe the Champions League, and whether they're, what the priority is, whether it's to, to finish a season unbeaten and to... Obviously, yeah. the Champions League will be a priority, but whether they also want to finish the season unbeaten and they, the FA Cup, they carry on the same team, or they think, well, actually, if they get through the FA Cup to through Shrewsbury through the next round, that they actually get to the point where actually they want to focus on the FA Cup a bit more because they've already won the league. Yeah, just quick, quickly on that with the tables. Um, in terms of the relegation battle, we'll get to that later, hopefully from a position of um, arrogant distance uh, as the weeks go on. But while we're on the subject at the top end of the table, top four and other significant positions, what's your take on that? Do you think... We're talking City and Leicester surely as, as two and three in one order or another, I would think. Who else would get in the top four? Man United are in with a chance, although apparently they're in tragic crisis. Worst, <laughs> worst, team, worst history fact. Could it be a Wolves? Could it, be a, would it just be a Chelsea? I don't see it being a Wolves if United. I think it will be a Chelsea, Tottenham or United probably. Yeah. Realistically, I, um, I think what you've done this, this season has been amazing, but I can't see them having the... The, the, the kind of the, the long term history to the, the push to kind of keep catch up with Chelsea Tottenham and the United are the ones who probably could do that if Chelsea dropped off a bit Speaking of Tottenham I'm sure you might have seen at the weekend some amusing footage from the Jose Mourinho camp about the uh, yellow card or not mm. yellow card scenario with Raheem Sterling could have possibly got a second yellow Spurs um, saved the penalty and then he went crazy celebrating. Amusingly, then his assistant manager is seen talking to him, waving a card in the air. Mourinho then clocks what he's talking about and goes running over as if the incident has just that second occurred and protests furiously to the fourth official about uh, the lack of a yellow card for Sterling, which he hadn't realised was would have been a second yellow, would have been a red card. Um, the assistant then himself goes bounding over almost in exactly the same fashion. Hilarious stuff. <laughs> You've got to love him, haven't you, Jose? He's a, he's a character, I think it's <laughs> the most tactful thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sat through it, <laughs> Well, a little bit of an interruption there, some plates and glasses collection. I don't know why there's all these empty glasses in there, Peter. Any idea? Seems I think Raymond drank a lot. Yes, it must have been Raymond. <laughs> anyway, on other amusing matters, like the Spurs scenario, um, you said you heard a story from uh, the lower leagues, was it? Yeah, I, I saw a, I saw a couple of weeks ago. I might have been on a link on North Stand chat or somewhere of a of a non league game where a player got two ten, two yellow cards in the same incident, basically the same same move. It's like his team were attacking, and uh, and it, it had a corner. He's a centre half, and the other team broke, and he fouled a guy in the area, brought him down, <laughs> and then the ball broke to the other team, the same the, another player from the other team, and they broke at their end to advantage. Was played. And in the end, the centre half forcing his way back, then got booked to get, then brought down the player at the other area, and in doing so, got the referee unusually because normally they wouldn't do that. Booked him for both incidents and sent him off, much <laughs> to his bemusement, buddy. But fantastic. And actually, I was reading. I think it might have been our, our mates, our WhatsApp group. Um, somebody posted something about. I think it was a Spanish uh, Segundo or maybe below. I think second uh, division, second yeah. Division game where, I can't remember the teams involved, but somebody got sent off for an incident that occurred, uh, went to the dressing rooms, he was fully fully off the pitch and in, in the changing rooms. Um, subsequently it was reviewed and uh, or revoked, the, the red card, so he had to come back out onto the pitch. Uh, he then continued his squabble with whoever it was, he'd have some sort of 
incident with, and proceeded to get himself booked, which was unfortunately for him his second yellow. So he was then subsequently sent straight back off again. I thought that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Has that ever happened before? I can't remember. A story Without VAR, probably not. No. <laughs> so. Because it, it was, was it VAR related? It was VAR, apparently. I didn't realise it was a second level in yeah, the I think it was someone against Girona, I think it might have been, but it was someone else. That was it, that was it, yeah. And I think Girona were the team who didn't have the player sent off, and then someone, a, le- a less well heard of team. Absolute madness, absolute madness. Got to love VAR. <laughs> um, Haven't you, Robin? <laughs> <laughs> yes, hi, Robin. <laughs> and then one final article I wanted to pick up is actually from a week or two ago. Um, absolutely bizarre, well, I couldn't believe this when I heard it. There's a report, this is from the Bleacher Report website, um, which says, Raul Bravo accused of hiring Hitman in attempt on Darko Kovacevic, which is, um, as the report reads, former Real Madrid fullback Raul Bravo had been reportedly accused of hiring a Hitman to make an attempt on his former teammate Darko Kovacevic. Spanish football writer Colin Miller reported the news. Um, he said on his, I think it's Twitter, he said... Um, uh, where is it going? Uh, Raul Bravo, once a Real Madrid, Leeds United, suspected of hiring a hitman to murder former Olympiacos teammate Darko Kovacevic. Bravo had previously been arrested on suspicion of corruption and money laundering in a previous incident. Um, well, the Bleacher Report then goes on to say, according to Serbian outlet Telegraph, Bravo allegedly masterminded the attempt on Kovacevic, whom he played with at Olympiacos. Um, in early January, he was ambushed near his home in Athens by two men. None of the bullets hit him, but the 46-year-old injured himself while trying to avoid the gunfire. Um, and the Greek police have reportedly found a burnt-out vehicle that may have been used in the attack. Um, it then goes on to say, in May, Serbia Media reported that Bravo was among those arrested in a match-fixing scandal and was allegedly the ringleader. Shortly after, El Mundo, Spanish paper, uh, reported that he was involved in an attempt to threaten Huesco president Agustin Lazarosa over the matter of €100,000. The 38-year-old won two La Liga titles and the UEFA Champions League with Real Madrid also spent time with our old friends Leeds United. <laughs> what do you make of this, I, I have two, two quite um, clear comments to this. Number one, he probably hired the wrong assassins. It sounds <laughs> like he went on a James Bond film and hired the villains from that who appear to not be able to shoot straight. And he obviously hired the wrong people. Number two, what do you more do you expect somebody to pay for Leeds United? <laughs> it's oh, it's part, of the, uh, part of the part of the tapestry of Leeds. Is the uh... there's always some killing going on when Leeds are concerned. It's usually their own promotion hopes. Uh, on that matter, ooh, a little bit slippery and slidey at the moment, isn't it? Such a pity. I know. I know uh, you're gutted. I've I've I had very. Uh, I long thought it was very funny that Leeds' best player is our, or was at the start of the season our sixth try centre defender. I think Ben White may well be higher in the, in the list at the moment, but yeah, we might be laughing on the other side yeah. of our faces if we go down and they stay up and they but, slide. But but as it stands, we can laugh our heads off. Um, I mean, it, the, and that, if ever there was a team, even more than Newcastle, who had un, unrelated, you know, kind of un, un, unfair views of their own kind of like high level or whatever, for Leeds, they've been. Not in Premier League for like over fifteen years, I don't think, Delusions isn't it? Grander, do you mean? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, uh, and they are, well, they, they are. They are the biggest team in the megaverse, aren't they? I mean, they're just yeah, champions of Europe, you know. <laughs> but they, uh, they definitely are. Uh, and I'm sure if ever a Leeds fan listens to this, they'd be saying, "Little old Brighton, don't give a shit about them and that sort of thing." Exactly. But they, um, yeah, I, I had one experience of meeting a Leeds fan after a, we lost under Oscar, Oscar Garcia there. Yeah. And they scored a last-minute winner with an absolutely blatant handball, which was actually shown on the screen at Ellen Road. 
once and then they took it off they really, once they realised it was an absolutely blatant handball in the last minute. And his view was, oh no, you know, you'd love to win at, uh, at Leeds in the last minute of the handball. You'd be like so excited to win at Ellen Road. And I was like, well, we've won the last two seasons, so I'm not sure what your point is, really. Fairly as well. Without digressing too far, one of my favourite memories of Leeds away was when I wasn't there, listening on the radio, and um, they had El Hadj the Youth playing for them. And I remember hearing very, very loud, very I was there, yeah. sweary, sweary song, um, basically saying, you're just a, a ship, Balotelli, over the radio, which was quite amusing. That's when he got sent off in? Yeah, I think yeah. that pretty much... Got him sent off, didn't they? Because yeah. round him up. Yeah, they just got level, and we were just because I think they had a player sent off early, and we were ahead. And then they, I think one of was it Calderon or Bruno who got sent yeah. off, yeah. and they scored a penalty. Do you score a penalty? Yeah. And so it just got back to one all, and right. what and ten against ten, and then do you made sure we had an advantage again by getting ourselves sent off, and we scored a latish winner then as well, and the. And and it's, always, it's always good fun. The championship, we won't digress too much, but the championship in general is looking very typical. There's a couple of teams dominating, some others that could catch them that are jostling for positions in the playoffs. Uh, a couple of surprise names. Preston mm. have been pushing around there. Brentford have been looking really good. Um, It'd be ideal season then to go up as well with their new ground I'll, coming. I'll, I'll be really pleased for them, actually, if they yeah. went up. But decent, from what I've had experience of, decent yeah. club, decent fans... Decent pubs in every corner of the ground that they are at the moment. Um, I, ideal, ideal time for them to go up there with a the new ground coming. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, five Griffin Park the would not have been a Premier League ground. No, I mean, not there's uh, there's others out there that aren't either, but uh, who are currently. Um, but they're all seater at least, whereas Griffin Park isn't. That's true. There's a yeah, lot of standing even, there. Even smaller if they have to do that. Yeah. But no, good timing if they do it, and I'd be delighted to get to a new ground as yeah. well. Take that one off as early as possible on that 92 club thing. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that transpires. Easier than Barrow. <laughs> Easier than Barrow, exactly, Peter. Um, so, I mean, that more or less wraps things up. Just a couple of other footnotes and uh, dispatches. Uh, we were chatting at the Seagulls at the London event uh, with Boone, who's a musician, and I bought his CD. He was talking about it briefly on the pod that time out, a couple of, last, a couple of um, episodes ago. Um, I have listened to a bit of it, it's quite intriguing, but I'm going to listen to all of it properly and then give a full review of it later on. So I just wanted to mention that for anyone that was listening out for that information. Um, and on, well, the other matter I was going to talk about was, was there any further thoughts about the transfer window as a whole, aside from the Albion? Anything at all? very quiet, generally. Yeah, the general words. Very to boring, be, you know. It was yeah, very, very inert. There was not much going yeah. on. City signed no one. Liverpool signed Min- Minamina, who was yeah. obviously quite sounds quite an exciting signing, but hasn't really played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Arsenal made a couple of signings, into, um, but nothing huge. I don't think memory. It's yeah. unless I'm missing something. Spurs signed um, Ber- Bergwin, but actually the biggest thing for them was Ericsson leaving. Probably Chelsea yeah. having fought their ban, signed no one. Yeah. Leicester signed Brian Bennett from Norwich. And that was enough from um, Wolves, and that was it. Mm. You know, none of the, the really the big clubs were active, which meant it was probably harder for us because well, like a lot have... of the time the big clubs sign someone and then it kind of drops, the drips down yeah, a bit, and, that's right. and they let someone go and then someone else goes. But so, actually, it was an extremely quiet window, really, overall. Yeah, you get side, side the, on adjustments, don't you? The biggest so. signing seems to have been Haaland for, for Dortmund, who scored seven in three games so far. What a player he looks. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that other clubs didn't go for him. Well, United were supposedly, and then. 
then he just chose Dortmund. Yeah. Just is there's a deal lined up through uh, one of the uh, super agents, at Manoda or whatever, well, whereby he'll go probably in a couple of years or from Dortmund. But if he carries scoring on scoring of seven in three, he won't probably mind. They, yeah. they won't mind. But I don't know how to what degree this might be about his willingness to go where. But Man United were the club heavily linked with him from these shores. And when you look at the, that player and you look at the players that they've been in for, Joshua King, I was a bit surprised they tried to go for. He's not a bad player, but is he a man who player to up the ante for what they've got or to give them serious enough back up to what they've got? I'm not sure. It's a short-term thing, of course. Igalo is the one they have gone for, um, who's shot at Watford, but he's been in China. Not really sure what he's up to at the moment. Those, those don't compare with Haaland, do they? No. If you're looking for an up-and-comer... You'd sign him, wouldn't you? If they had the real ambition that um, a team like the club like Manchester United should have. Yes, I mean, given... I mean, I mentioned their fans are not very impressed. They just out to Dortmund on him because mm. they don't see Dortmund probably as a whole. I mean, I would say, actually, Dortmund are a lot more sustainable and long-term practical club to go to in a lot of ways. They've got massively... They've got bigger crowds. They've yeah. got... Mm. German football is a lot more stable than English football yeah. in a lot of ways. There's a lot more... Yeah. And he's got a lot bigger... You know, a stage to shine and then yeah. potentially get a move... Probably to Spain is where the. Yeah. I mean, for all the Premier League's hype, the truly big players go to Spain generally. Hmm. Uh, last two items on the transfer matters. Back to the Albion. Quick mention of Aaron Moy. We did mention him in a previous podcast, but he was the other person who, of course, we did business with in the in the uh, the window. We've got him on a permanent deal for three and a half years, along with the two signings we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Lamptey and of course McAllister coming back in. Um, Apart from that, there's McGill went out on loan, didn't he? Remind me, where did he go, the young goalie? Crawley. Didn't he? Oh, so I think it was Crawley. Um, there's been a couple of other people that have gone out on loan. Not much else has happened besides, apart from those outgoers, Pelican and Bond that we mentioned. Um, so I think it's been, you know, I think it's been reasonable good, if it wasn't for the fact we didn't get a striker. Yeah, I think the, the striker thing is quite a... I mean, I think if Murray does start scoring and get games and keep yeah. us up, it doesn't. It kind of hides the long-term impact, you know. The kind of he can't carry on forever, and the the recruitment team had one job really to get a striker. In. We could have done without a right back. We could have done without a attacking. Probably McAllister coming back in a way. Their big job was to get a striker in, and without one to be too critical, they didn't. And I would say that's a a, a pretty strong criticism, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so too, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, that more or less rounds it up. The only other thing I wanted to mention was we had some feedback from listeners, uh, generally pretty positive, saying keep it up, you're finding your feet and everything, and keep it going. So we're, we're really pleased to hear that feedback. Until the end of the show, and then we've lost our feet after a few beers. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> completely. Uh, we had the feedback about New Orleans music, and I might just chuck another final tune on in a moment about that. Um, one other thing that's mentioned about the, uh, from the listeners and it's just gone straight out of my head, so this is an awkward end to the uh, podcast, <laughs> um, was dot, dot, dot. I finally thought of it after pausing the pause button for a moment. It was about this pub that we're in. Uh, episode two, we went to a pub, and somebody who listens to this, Andy Bravery, said, I was intrigued about the pub, you, uh, the pub you're in, the good background noise, and you were waxing lyrical about the food and drink, where was it? And we didn't mention the name of the pub. Well, that pub was, or it still is, the Gladstone Arms. We're sitting in that pub again for our second uh, episode broadcast in this location, and it is fantastic. We've had the food again, Peter. We've had some great beers. Uh, nice, isn't it? 
I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Very good, uh, very good session pale ale and uh, very nice uh, chicken, tandoori chicken pie or t- chicken, chicken tikka pie. <laughs> they were fantastic. It's very close to uh, Borough Tube Station. Yeah. Come out the station, turn right. It's the first turning on the right when you walk down the main road. If you're really lucky, you come here, you might see a live podcast being recorded. <laughs> or a couple of buffoons. Um, actually, on, on one final matter, my other half said, oh my God, why would I want to listen to this stuff? It's two middle-aged potatoes farting on about the football. Oh, that's bloody charming, isn't it? <laughs> how dare, how dare she? How rude. <laughs> Do I count as middle-aged now? 37, is that middle-aged? Well, middle exactly, age? I mean, I think that's a bit harsh. I, I would say I'm, I'm a young person talking crap about football, not really? like, like a middle-aged one. Yeah, I mean, I'm 48 going on 13, so <laughs> I count as a middle-aged immature bloke, as, as most 48-year-olds are. I don't think I count at all. <laughs> no, oh, bless. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we're going to leave you. Uh, with a bit of New Orleans music. Till next time, goodbye. Up the Albion. Adios. And stand or fall. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.